This is Herbie J. Pilato, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining us for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 415 of On Screen and Beyond, the show that'll keep you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry this week. Herbie J. Pilato will be joining us. He's the founder of the Classic TV Preservation Society and the author of Dashing, Daring, and Debonair. And it's about leading male actors from TV in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So get ready for that. Herbie's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And a lot of things are going on. We've got a lot of uh, TV information for you and some movie remakes and a lot of good stuff coming your way. So I hope you're going to stick around. And, of course, like I said, Herbie's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And uh, why don't we get right into it? It's time for Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Pokemon live-action movie has been fast-tracked, and the production will start as soon as 2017. And Sofia Coppola will direct a remake of 1971 Clint Eastwood movie, Beguiled. It looks like Colin Farrell, Ella Fanning, and Kristen Dunst will star in it. And director Sean Levy will direct the remake of John Carpenter's Starman, which, of course, starred Jeff Bridges back in the day. And that's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, Adam Sandler's next movie for Netflix will be Sandy Wexler. And this one is set in the 1990s, which always seems to be a good a good thing for Adam Sandler. And it will co-star Jennifer Hudson. And let's see, it's going to be released in 2017 on Netflix. And look for Bruce Willis to star in Fast Kill. It's a new action film for him and will uh, start production later this summer. And you can look for Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer to team up to play mother and daughter in a yet-to-be-named comedy. And the pilot revolves around their road trip to an Amazon rainforest. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sequel City, Star Trek Four has been announced, but no release date as of yet. And uh, best guesses, it looks like it's going to be around 2019, 2020. 
And March 9th, 2018 is the date for Wreck-It Ralph 2, and Annabelle 2 will scare us on May 19th, 2017. And that is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away as far as TV on DVD? We've got it next. TV on DVD, a lot of good ones coming our way. Gunsmoke, the 12th season, 1 and 2, will ride into stores on September 20th. And Hanging with Mr. Cooper will come our way on DVD on August 2nd from Warner Archive, manufactured on demand. And American Horror Story Hotel Season 5 will arrive in stores on October 4th. And Twin Peaks, the original series, Firewalker with Me, and The Missing Pieces will all hit stores on September 20th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, Movies on DVD. <laughs> movies on DVD. Well, Olive Films has some great releases coming our way in the classic film department on August 16th. Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon with Liza Minnelli from 1970. And uh, that's uh, also, uh, you know, uh, one of the classics that's coming your way. But they also got others, like the first four American Ninja films, originally released from 1985 to 1990. And in September, Jerry Lewis returns to the big screen in Max Rose. It also stars Claire Bloom and Dean Stockwell. And that is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, Star Trek Discovery will be the name of the new Star Trek entry in the series. And A&E's Bates Motel will end after Season 5, which is the next season. And uh, the, you can look for Katie Seagal. She's going to be playing Penny's mom in the new season of The Big Bang Theory. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen or Beyond, Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity birthdays, July 25th, looks like Matt LeBlanc turns 49, July 26th, Sandra Bullock, 52, and Mick Jagger, 73. And on July 28th, Lori Loughlin is going to be turning 52. And on July 29th, Will Wheaton, Star Trek there, he is going to be 44. And on July 30th, Arnold Schwarzenegger turns 69. And on July 31st, Lisa Kudrow turns 53. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, uh, Cammie T. of Boston, Massachusetts turns 43 on July 28th. If you, a friend or a relative, are having a birthday and want to celebrate it with all these lovers of TV and movie stories and everything else, celebrating all over the world, your birthday, friend or relative, send me the information at feedback at onscreentobeyond.com and we'll all say happy birthday to you. And that's it. 
Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, Herbie J. Pilato, founder and creator of the Classic TV Preservation Society and also the author of Dashing, Daring, and Debonair. He's next, right here. Herbie J. Pilato on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is the founder and executive director of the Classic TV Preservation Society, and he has written numerous books about classic TV, including The Kung Fu Book of Wisdom, Bewitched Forever, Glamour, Gidgets, and The Girl Next Door, and his latest book, Dashing, Daring, and Debonair. It's Herbie J. Pilato. Herbie, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. I really, really am. I'm excited about this. Yeah, Herbie, you know, what you do, your classic TV preservation and uh, your books that you have and everything are just exactly what our listeners love. And uh, when I had the chance to get you on, I said, you know, this is great. We're going to, you know, somebody who can, I can really talk to about classic TV. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, just um, a phenomenon, really. I think um, classic television is 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 intriguing to people because they know a good thing is a good thing, whether it's done in 1950 or uh, you know today. If it's good, people will stick with it. And you know this resurgence in classic television with all the different networks like MeTV and mm-hmm. Posey TV and Antenna TV, people are hungry for. The old style of storytelling with, um, uh, you know, each story has a beginning, middle, and end. And the shows that they did in, in back in the day, in the 60s and 70s uh, in particular, they were just like movies. They were filmed like movies. And the quality was there. And, and not all the characters looked alike or sounded alike or talked alike, which is really the case, not for every show today, but many shows today, you know, everybody rolls their eyes. Everybody's sarcastic. Everybody, uh, you know, is snarky. Uh, there's, there's all beautiful people. There's no character actors anymore. Everybody has perfect hair, perfect features. So there's something missing. And it, when you flip to the channels and you come to, you know, uh, Bonanza or, or Kung Fu or That Girl, you stop because right away you can see the person can actually see the actors. Mm-hmm. You know the lighting is bright, and or you can actually understand the actors because everybody whispers today and they marble their they have marbles in their mouth. Yeah. But then there's there was diction and 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 there was clarity and those are all missing from today's in general from today's show. Exactly, and you know. You mentioned uh, character actors, and you watch a lot of TV shows and movies, because these, these people move back and forth TV movies and everything else. And um, we've, had, we've had several old character actors on the show here, but um, nowadays you don't seem to see that a lot. Or like you say, they don't have any definition that, that you can pick them out continuously like, you know, like they did back then. Well, and I think a part of the reason why, at least I think, 
is, you know, in, back in the day, actors actually came from vaudeville or the stage or Broadway, and you had these cultured actors who really, really worked, you know, 20 years, and then they got a TV show. Today, you know, you pop something on YouTube, right. some age, some <laughs> casting director sees you, and you're in a series. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and again, it's all geared toward beauty and, and perfection and the right look. And, you know, unfortunately, vulgarity and excessive violence is also part of the cachet today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, uh, there, God forbid you actually tell a story that doesn't have a vulgar word in it, or there's dialogue that you don't have a vulgar word in it. Mm-hmm. It's just a very, very strange thing, and I don't think that um, watchers, viewers, are given enough credit. Um, I don't think the, the networks give viewers enough credit uh, for what they really could possibly like. Right. So they take the easy way out, and they say, okay, let's put a lot of violence, let's put a lot of vulgarity into it, and that'll capture their attention. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's just not really the case all the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, the stations like MeTV and Antenna TV and things like that. But uh, what do you feel about the recent, uh, well, more recent resurgence of taking TV shows and making them into movies? Or, or like Netflix turned around and took uh, Full House and made it into Fuller House. And now they're talking about uh, bringing back or ma- remaking uh, lost in space, things like that. What, what, how do you feel about those? I really, you know, there's a lot of classic TV people who have issue with that. I don't have an issue with any of that because, in in many ways, it, it pays uh, a tribute to the original show and it's a testament to the uh, content of the original program. But they have to be done right. Mm-hmm. A prime example of how it's done right is when they did the Brady Bunch movie originally back in 95. Now, the Brady Bunch movie was a satire, and that show lent itself to satire. So it was okay Mm -hmm. that the movie was a satire. But then, somehow, that movie became the template for all all TV shows to be turned into films. And then every every movie that was based on a, a TV show became a joke. Because they thought, we have the Brady Bunch as a joke, so we can make, you know, these other movies a joke. And that's not, no. I mean, The Fugitive, when they remade The Fugitive back in, again, the 90s at some time with Harrison Ford, they played it straight, and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, um, When Dark Shadows, which I'm a huge Dark Shadows fan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) um, And when they did that movie back in 2012 with Johnny Depp, I mean, the first five minutes were beautiful. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to play this straight. They're going to make this real. And then, you know, what's his name, the director there, Tim, what's his name? Burton. Tim Burton. He turns the thing into a show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the worst thing that he could have done is they, I think they filmed it over there in the big London studios, or whatever the heck it was, and they brought four of the original Dark Shadow actors into the film, Laura Parker, Jonathan Frid, God bless him, who played Barnabas, David Selby and Catherine Lee Scott, and they gave them two little seconds on screen. Mm-hmm. You 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 don't do that. You 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 somehow include those original actors in the film, even just with two lines. Yeah. And and you know, so there's I have this whole vision 
of, of how these things should be done and, and how they shouldn't be done. And the bottom line is, as long as the original mythology is respected of the original concept, as long as any living actors who were involved with the original shows are somehow shown on screen, people love that. Oh, yeah. And they re- that. Like with that, uh, the Maverick movie that Mel uh, Gibson did a few, uh, 20 mm-hmm. years ago again. Uh, he had a lot of the old cowboy actors in there, and James Garner, who was the original Maverick, right. ended up playing his father. People loved it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and, and uh, don't get me talking about what they did with Wonder Woman in, in Batman versus Superman. I mean, Wonder Woman is not a blood, uh, sword carrying uh, princess. What's her name? Of uh, she's not Xena, Princess Warrior, right. but that's what made her out to be. So stick to the mythology. If you don't want, if you're going to do a remake, then do a remake. If you don't want to do, uh, you know, the original Brady Bunch or or uh, Fugitive, then don't do the original Brady Bunch and Fugitive. Do make your own story. But if you're going to pay homage to something, and tribute to something, then stick to what people loved in the first place. Exactly. Like, like you're saying, I, if they're going to do that, call it something else. Don't, don't call it exactly. that. You know, yes. it, it's, it's maddening when they, they ruin it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let's get a little bit about you in here first, before we go on to, to too much more. You've written a lot of books. What made you decide to write these books? Mm. Well, um, I grew up in, in Rochester, which is upstate New York in the inner city, and uh, I was picked on. It's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it short. I was picked on and bullied as a kid, so I uh, gravitated toward fantasy TV shows, and like a lot of people did in the 60s. I mean, the 60s was a hard time for, for all of us, um, but, I was, but I was bullied more than the average kid for whatever reason because I was, I was a cute kid and... All the little girls loved me, and all the little boys were jealous, so they beat me up. Hmm. And and uh, so I just loved uh, Bewitched in particular because, to me, um, I, I was in love with Elizabeth Montgomery, like the rest of us, of right. course. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> and um, I just thought, wow, she really loves him, um, you know, for who he is and, and not for what he could do or buy for her. You know, I even thought that as a kid and later on as an adult, I really, really understood that. So um, I just said, I was at the supermarket one day, and I saw a book called The World of Star Trek by David Gerald, and it was about uh, um, Star Trek, it was behind the scenes, and I held it in my hand and I said, one day I'm going to write about the witch like this guy wrote about Star Trek, and, you know, 30 years later I did. And... Um, I was acting and singing and writing and, and doing all this stuff in L.A., but nothing was really happening. So that's when I just focused on the writing. And uh, I went back to Rochester to care for my parents, and I wrote the original Bewitched book um, in, in my room that I grew up in while caring for my parents. Um, and before that happened, um, there was a new show that William Asher who was the original director, producer of Bewitched and Married to Elizabeth, that he was going to do called Bewitched Again. And um, I wanted to be a part of that. And I had written a Bewitched reunion movie. So 
So I sent him the script. He loved it, and we were going to do the show, and then it lost financing. And then I had um, all this bewitched energy, and uh, then I said, how about we do a book about the original show? Do you think Elizabeth would be interested in a book? And she was, and we became friends, and she was a very, very private person. And I ended up writing the first Bewitched book, and years later I ended up writing Twitch Upon a Star, uh, The Bewitched Life and Career of Elizabeth, which is her biography that I wrote. And then The Essential Elizabeth Montgomery, um, which is an encyclopedia of her work before, during, and after Bewitched. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm like, well, I gotta, I, there's got to be something else going on here. I mean, I want to write about other shows. So I wrote about Kung Fu and... The Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, and Life Goes On, which was that incredible show that ABC aired from 1989 mm-hmm. to 1993 with Corky had Down Syndrome. And there was a theme that all of these characters, most of the characters in these shows that I liked, had a, were prejudiced against. You know, that they, Samantha was a witch in a, a mortal world. David Carradine's Kane was an Asian in a Western world. Steve and Jamie were, uh, you know, um, Half man, half machine, and cyborgs, and they felt like you know freaks. That was the term that they used. Uh, Corky certainly had Down syndrome, um, and Chad Lowe, who played Jesse McKenna on Life Goes On, he his character was had AIDS. Um, so, you know, I identified with all these characters because I felt like an outsider as a kid because I was picked on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many minorities are connected with with Bewitched um, because Samantha was isolated um, or ostracized, really. She could not really be who she was. And I was like, you know, man, what's wrong? Just because I'm cute, you're beating me up. I mean, you know, it can be cruel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and then I sang and I danced, and, you know, that was an issue for them, too. You know, yeah. so it it was tough. So anyway, long story short, very, very long story short, um, I was inspired by Bewitched, and then everything that I did after the books, um, like I did Bewitched, the Eat Your Hollywood Story, then I did Amy's uh, biography of Elizabeth Montgomery, and then I did TLC's behind-the-scenes uh, specials on Mary Tyler Moore and, and uh, the Bob Newhart show, L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, all of those shows and all of those things that happened after uh, my Bewitched book happened because of the Bewitched book. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Bewitched. Um, uh, we had, about a year or two ago, we had uh, Aaron Murphy, who played Tabitha, on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, she was very nice. Uh, of course, she was a character from the later years of the show, but uh, she, uh, she was a very nice, nice person to have on the show. Yeah, she has a huge following. She, everybody loves Erin. All right, so you've written those books in the past, and now your new book, Dashing, Daring, and Debonair. Tell us about that one. What's that one about? Yeah, um, I, when I did Glamour Gidget's and the Girl Next Door, which is about the, the female stars of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, I knew that one day I'd have to follow it up with one about the guys. So, And I wanted to, I liked the alliteration of, you know, uh, Glamour Gidget's and the Girl Next Door, so I thought, well... Let me call this one Dashing, you know, Daring and, and Debonair. And everyone thought I was originally saying Dashing Darins and Debonair because uh, of, you know, <laughs> Bewitched. Um, but that would have been a little much. Yeah. But I wanted to cover the, the, the Gidget's book was more 
of the young type, uh, 20-something, 30-something uh, female star of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I wanted to broaden the range a little bit with the, with the guys' book. And it, it, this is l- less trivia-oriented than the, um, the Gidget's book, too. It's more narrative. So it's a larger span of, of actors. I interviewed Larry Wilcox from Chips and Robert Wagner from It Takes a Thief and Ed Asner from the Mary Tyler Moore Show yeah. and Tony Dow from Leave it to Beaver. Um, uh, who else? Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, Max Bear from the Beverly Hillbillies. Michael Cole from the Mod Squad. And then if the, I didn't get to the person to interview or if they died, then I, I interviewed many... Uh, entertainment journalists uh, like um, Ann Hodges of the Houston Chronicle, famous uh, TV writer and TV critic of that of that incredible newspaper, and and people like that. And I gathered all of those thoughts, and then of course I did research from various magazines and 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 previous uh, books and and articles that were written about these male stars. And I put it all together and came up with Dashing Darian and Debonair. And by the way, to me, I mean, and I try to say this objectively, but the book is gorgeous. I mean, Taylor Trey did such an incredible job with producing it with this beautiful uh, matte color that I, or matte cover that I just I had suggested, and beautiful, beautiful photos. I'm just so proud of it. Yeah, it, it yeah it's it sounds like a great book that's for sure. Jeez, uh, it's uh, you know like I say, there's so many different people that you've interviewed that uh, uh, and talk about in the book that uh, just wonderful actors and and it's uh, it sounds like it's a really good book to to have on your shelf. You know, if you love TV. Well, I want I yeah, and I wrote it such that the reader could open it up at any point and not be lost. I mean, every chapter is unto itself. It's connected to the other chapters, but every chapter is unto itself. So, it, you know, if you don't feel like finishing, you know, the book all in one session, it's not an issue. Right. Um, yeah. And that's actually how I, I did most of my books. Even my biography on Elizabeth, it's not really a narrative biography or chronicle, chronological biography. It's, it, is, it definitely tells her story, but each chapter is unto itself. And if you stick with it to the end, it's a big book. You'll see how I tie it all in hmm. uh, towards the end. Yeah, yeah. Now, along with your writing, I mentioned that you are the founder and director of the Classic TV Preservation Society. What? Give us an idea about what that's about. Yeah, that too really stems from uh, from bewitched in a way. The Classic TV Preservation Society is a formal. Um, 501c3 nonprofit organization that is dedicated to the positive influence of classic TV shows. The Witch did an episode called uh, Sisters at Heart, in which Tabitha, played by Aaron Murphy, uh, befriended a young girl who happened to be African American, and um, they went to the park and they were bullied because. Um, they didn't look alike, and they, they wanted to, they called themselves sisters. And a bully at the park says, well, you can't be sisters. You don't look alike. And Tabitha works some magic to make them look alike, and it, she, she messes up the magic, and white polka dots appear on the African-American girl, and um, black polka dots appear on the, um, the on Tabitha. Mm-hmm. 
So Samantha calls uh, Dr. Bombay, fixes the situation played by Bernard Fox, yes. and everything's okay. And the, the motto was, you know, all men are brothers, even if they're girls. You know, it was really kind of cute. Mm-hmm. So um, that episode in and of itself was a genius, and it was the core message of the witch, which was prejudice. Samantha and Darren were different, two different people who fell in love with each other. But um, it was written by an inner-city high school class, Jefferson High, of Los Angeles, who were different cultures, African-Americans, uh, Spanish, white, Italians, who loved the witch. The producers found out that they loved the witch, and they asked him to write this episode. It is Elizabeth. It became Elizabeth Montgomery's favorite bewitched episode, and it spoke to me. And I started giving seminars after my books were published. My first one was published. I started giving seminars to schools, showing that episode, and saying that, you know what? Bewitched has a message about love. It has a message about strong work ethic. It has a message about prejudice. It has a message about true priorities. And you know what? Kung Fu has a message about inner strength. And, you know, he didn't use his Kung Fu until the last resort, just like Samantha didn't twitch her nose into the last resort. She tried to solve her problems with her mind and her wit before twitching. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen Jamie didn't never use guns on the six million dollar man up on a woman. So there would be there was this this message of classic TV, this family message. And then Elizabeth Montgomery was a very charitable person in real life. She was one of the first people to dedicate her life to uh, uh, to advocating for AIDS. She was one of the fir- uh, first celebrities uh, to advocate for AIDS. Mm-hmm. She was one of the first celebrities to advocate for those who. Disabilities. Yeah. Uh, she was one of the first to advocate for uh, against the war in Vietnam. Um, so I wanted to do something positive, inspired by all of that. And I thought, let me form. Let me just form it on um, Facebook. Let me just form a group on Facebook. I'll call it the I don't know Classic TV Preservation Site. So that came out of you know out of out of my head in two seconds. I didn't you know have a sleepless night figuring out how to work what to call it. And then I realized I needed to make it something formal. And I did. And so the formal core function are seminars that I give to schools, colleges, and community centers, and business centers about the positive influence, and senior centers, I love seniors, about the positive influence of classic TV shows. Hmm. And then the society itself is a group of nonprofits that I help to funnel uh, some funds to for them, like um, um, a minor consideration, which is Paul Peterson, yes, yeah. um, uh, nonprofit, and Paul Peterson, of course, from the Down to Reach Show, and Katerina's Club, which feeds thousands of hungry children in Los Angeles every week, and I believe they're expanding to around the country. So, a society of nonprofits as well. You know, I I see if I can give some, uh, make some donations through the Classic TV Preservation Society to others. So it's you know, you're supposed to form a nonprofit when you like you're retired. You know? <laughs> yeah. But somehow that didn't happen with me. I am doing it in reverse. Hmm. Well, that's it sounds like a worthy cause too. Geez. now what's the uh the address for on the web that people can go to see the uh, classic T V preservation society? Yes, we just have a brand new website, very excited about it. It's classic T V preserve 
dot org. So that's classic TV preserve P R E S E R V E dot org. We will definitely put a link, uh, you know, up on the website so people can just click on it and head right to it. Uh, so that's uh, now you're also on Facebook. I take it. Yes, there's a um, there's two different uh, Facebook pages for the Classic TV Preservation Society. There's the the official Classic TV Preservation Society group, and then there's also the Classic TV Society page. Hmm. All right, great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, now, I always end our, my interviews with two final questions, but I've got a couple other that I'm going to add to the f- to the usual final ones here. But <laughs> so so we're not there yet. But uh, now I know it's going to be a tough question for you because I'm sure you love TV so much that uh, you have a lot of favorites. But if you had to pick a favorite TV show, but and we'll even narrow it down. One from the fifties, one from the sixties, and one from the seventies. Oh, thank you. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> I figured I'd make it a little easier. <laughs> I don't want to break it down by year, so you know. <laughs> um. Well, the fifties, I would say it, it's going to be a tie, but I, it, I won't make it a tie. I'll still choose, but I will say it is between the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, Father Knows Best, and I'm going to lean towards saying Father Knows Best. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, I mean, it was such a brilliant show. Ozzie Nelson, you know, people think, oh, 50s smarmy, or it was all warm and fuzzy and little stupid shows. It's not, that is so not true. It was that. a genius comedy show that was the Seinfeld of its day. It would take a story about nothing and, and stretch it out for a half hour, and it was funny. And those Nelsons not only were funny, they were such nice people. Yeah. Such likable actors and likable performances. Uh, and very, very sophisticated. By the Nose Best, which I'm leaning towards as my favorite of the 50s, uh, Robert Young was fantastic. That show was amazing. It, was a, it, was, it wasn't really a sitcom, but it was a drama with comedy overtones. It was probably TV's first dramedy. The writing was pristine. The acting was phenomenal. Um, for the 60s, Bewitched to me is like in its own entity beyond television. So I'm going to say, I, of course I loved it, but my favorite, favorite show of, of, um, uh, of the 1960s, oh gosh, well, I guess I'm going to say Bewitched. I didn't think I was, but I, I guess I have to because it's just... It's just too important to my to my life and my career, and I just love Elizabeth, and I wouldn't have a career without it. And, and all the beautiful messages that I message, that I mentioned about it yeah. uh, makes it the best show to me of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of the 1970s. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm going to say, geez, the 1970s. Kung Fu, you know? I mean, it, it, it helped. It helped. Well, Chairman Mao was holding historic talks with uh, President Nixon, in 1972 in China, uh, you know, David Carradine was introducing mainstream America to the, the Asian culture, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And it was years ahead, decades ahead, really, of the New Age movement. It helped to create the New Age movement, or New Age thought, New Asian thought, let's put it that way. And it was this man of peace, you know, yep. that uh, brought peace to the world. That can never be a bad thing. And it was ahead of its time regarding cinematography uh, and, and again, story. I mean, before that, you had, like, the super color uh, cinematography of, of, like, Gunsmoke and Bonanza uh, and, and the Big Valley, those bright, bright colors. Mm-hmm. When Kane came along in Kung Fu, it was muted colors. So the cinematography alone... In a slow motion effect, that whole thing that they used for to tone down the violence, that was all very innovative. So, so there you have it. Father knows best, bewitched in kung fu. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, in a long-winded way, right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many other questions we could ask, but uh, I want to finish up now with the two final normal questions I ask, which which sort of <laughs> is going to get us into that what I just asked you too. But, uh, what is your favorite TV show? of all time now and of the past. What do you, do you like any of the new stuff that's out? And then also what's your favorite movie now and of the past? Hmm. Hmm. My, my favorite, my favorite TV show of all time. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to throw it a bone here because it really deserves it. Is the twilight zone. Ah, classic. All- yes. Because Rod, Rod Serling was a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite movie of all time is The Ten Commandments. Oh, yes. Uh, Charlton Heston. A, just a beautiful film. I don't care how many times I watch it. I love the dialogue. I love the story. I love the acting. I love the cinematography. I, I happened to have, I was honored to be in the same theater when Charlton Heston's son saw the movie in a, a remastered version of it a few years ago at the Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, my, my favorite newish show, um, well, I said it like Samantha, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's tough. That's tough. Um, I don't watch a lot of new shows. I have, <laughs> I have to say, you know, if I if I at night I sometimes you know put in Doctor Kildare or That Girl or something on mm-hmm. my DVD. Yeah. Um, I all I will say that the the most recent new show, and I know this is still not really recent, but the most recent is Frasier and Reba. I yep. loved yep. those two shows. I think Frasier was the last great sitcom. Um, I think Modern Family is is wonderful. Um, I, I, I like that each culture really is having their own show, you know, like the Goldbergs and mm-hmm. Blackish and all of that. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite new movie, um, 
I've yet to see it. Really? Yeah. I've I've yet to see my favorite new movie. Um, I mean, I see a lot of movies. Yeah. But I I've, I've yet to see a one where I go, wow, because I want I want I want a story. I know. know they I, they seem to lack that a lot. <laughs> I want again. It goes back. I want a beginning, a middle, and end. I want to care about the characters, and and I want the the, the characters don't have to be likable. Seinfeld proved that. Larry Hagman on Dallas proved that at Jr. The characters don't have to be likable, but the performances by the actors have to be likable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You have to enjoy those actors while playing those roles, and. Uh, and, you know, and there you go. Yeah. Now, it's fair where you can buy my books. Yes. You can go to um, Amazon.com. Uh, they, all, my latest book, Dashing, Daring, and Debonair, is now available in Nook and in hardcover through BarnesandNoble.com, through bookstores. You can go any, wherever books are sold. You could also order them directly from me, personally signed copies, by uh, just going to my blog spot, herbiejpilato.blogspot.com or emailing me directly, hjpilato at yahoo.com. Just email me and tell me which books you want, and I'll let you know how to get them. Sounds great. Yeah, and everybody should go out and get Dashing, Daring, and Debonair because it sounds like a great book in any of your other ones. And uh, they should head over to the Classic TV Preservation Society and uh, take a look at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Herbie, I, I appreciate so much that you've taken the time to let us know about your your uh, uh, you know, TV interest in all the things that you've done. And, and uh, I, I thank you so much. And, uh, you know, next time you have a book out, we'll have you on again. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here, truly. big thank you going out to Herbie J. Pilato for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And if you get a chance, check out the Classic TV Preservation Society and also his books. All of them, not just his latest, but of course his latest. It's Dashing, Daring, and Debonair. And it's about the leading male actors from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Then he's got the, the other one that he had uh, with the women, and then also Elizabeth Montgomery books he's had, and several other books. Check them all out. Uh, good books. Herbie J. Pilato, thank you for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Well, that's about it. If you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you have a suggestion for a guest, email it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we'll try to get that person on for you. We'll try to see if we can make a connection along the way somewhere and get uh, your favorite people on here at On Screen and Beyond. And let's see, we've got uh, a lot of things have been going on. Of course, uh, I've been working on the movie Bonji Bear and the Kingdom of Rhythm, and that's been taking up a lot of time. We've been working on the music for it, and uh, the animators are working on the animation. So uh, we were, you know, been a little behind on some of our episodes, but we're going to be getting a whole lot more coming your way. So I hope you'll keep listening to On Screen and Beyond. Tell a friend, get the word out, get things moving along here. And uh, we'll uh, the summer's just flying by, it seems like. And uh, uh, I recently had a chance to go see a Paul McCartney concert. And, wow, that was great. And uh, also a whole lot of other things going on. But, like I said, we've got a lot of guests coming our way. And in September, we start 
season 10 of On Screen and Beyond. It's just uh, so many things just going through here, and we, we just have more and more guests. Uh, we're heading, we're a ways off, but we're heading up to our 500th episode. Like I say, you know, we're at 415 right now. So uh, we got a ways to go, but uh, we're going to keep going for it. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week. And until next week, when do we once again take you on screen and beyond? I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.